You are warmly welcomed to listen to WDBE Talks, the podcast for the world of digital built environment. We invite you on a physical and virtual journey from Helsinki to Tallinn to celebrate the forerunners of the digital built environment. Hello and welcome to another episode of WDBE Talks. My name is Arni Heiskanen and my guest is Shazan Mohamed, Director of 3D Engineering and Ecosystems at Cesium. Thanks for joining us, Shazan. Yeah, thanks, Ernie, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here and talk to the community. I typically start by asking about the background of my guest. And so please, can you tell us a bit about your career path? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up uh, in India and did my undergrad there and then moved to the United States for my master's at University of Pennsylvania. Uh, it was in computer graphics and game technology um, and inside of, of perfect uh perfect degree for what I'm doing right now. Um, so as part of my, my master's there, I took a course called GPU programming, uh, which is about high performance computing. And uh, Patrick Cozy, who's now Cesium CEO, was my teacher then. So I've had a very long standing relationship with Patrick in that sense. Um, and as a result of taking his class and all the things he taught, that landed my first job at a company called ArrayFile. Uh, who built uh, high-performance GPU libraries, so using CUDA, OpenCL, OpenGL. Um, and so I was doing high-performance programming pretty much day in, day out for three and a half years. Patrick and I, of course, stayed in touch. I contributed to the class uh, during those years in a, in a short form as well. And then um, there was an opportunity opening at Cesium, so, uh, and it was the right time for me to move. So I joined um, Cesium as the team, which was part of AGI, the company back then, Analytical Graphics. Um, of course, you know, I started off as a software developer there, wrote, uh, quite, wrote some software for our data pipelines and converting um, 3D buildings into 3D tiles so that they can be streamed over the web um, and a few other things. And then as uh, Cesium was growing and we decided to spin off into our own company around the summer of 2019, um, that's when I was also taking on a more outward facing role uh, talking to customers, um, you know, sharing my, my process of, you know, educating first rather than selling, um, you know, educating both the community, the technology leaders, and people who are interested in geospatial in general, taking that approach first, that allowed me to grow into a, a larger role here at Cesium. And today I manage uh, 3D engineering and um, software uh, at here at Cesium. So I didn't mention about Patrick being my teacher. So when, when I also moved back to Cesium, that kind of opened an opportunity where I could start teaching in the class. So I did uh, about half a semester back in 2017. And then from 2018, I've been teaching uh, GPU programming at University of Pennsylvania. So I'm in my sixth year of teaching that course in a substantial way. Um, and it's, it's a great time to meet with the students and uh, and share our industry insights in a very pragmatic and, and technology-focused way. Yeah, and while you're teaching, you also learn yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's there's absolutely an element of the the success as a teacher is not in 
making a very hard course or giving you know tough grades. It is in seeing your students succeed and surpass what you are able to achieve in your career. And, and I think being that force multiplier essentially is a big part of uh, the satisfaction I get as sharing my knowledge and connecting students with industry and allowing them to be successful in their own right. Do you have a certain vision that guides your choices in work or in life in general? Oh, that, that's definitely a very deep question. Um, I would say, uh, you know, a, a year or so ago, I went to um, a course at Harvard University, uh, Harvard Business School specifically. And there, you know, one of the concepts they shared was that instead of fighting over a smaller pie, um, in, in a sense, the goal of most people, most leaders should be to grow the pie instead. Um, if, if you grow the pie, that means there's a larger pie to take a share of rather than fight over a small pie and not allow it to grow. So that, that's been a keen insight that I've had um, over the past few years where you know, if, we, if we focus first on, okay, how can we maximize the potential that we have? And then let's figure out you know, how we are going to um, you know, take part of the business and or part, even, even in personal life, how do, we take, how do we take an approach to that? I think that provides a greater incentive for uh, growth and, and expansion and really creating innovative products rather than saying, oh, this is my, my niche. I just want to be here and I don't want to grow it. So, so I think that's, that's definitely been a guiding principle. And then at CZM, of course, uh, you know, we, we are very much driven by um, you know, doing, doing open source and open standards. So interoperability becomes a big thing, not having lock-in. So being able to say, hey, anybody's welcome. Anybody can play with it. Um, anybody can use it for a variety of things. I think that becomes really rewarding as well. You know, there are use cases we see here at Cesium where we have never imagined something like that. It just comes out of the blue and somebody's like, hey, I've built this cool thing. And we're like, whoa, that is that is really, really cool. So um, I think that's been um, one of the fundamental factors as well, where you you really give it give it to out to the community and then see what new ideas they can come up with. What do you consider the most significant achievements uh, so far as, as you're in your role at Cesium? Oh, so I, I should first preface my answer by saying that you know, the, the success I've had is certainly built on the people who've come before me and the people who are working with me today. I, I don't think I can take any piece of the success for myself um, uh, you know, completely individually. Um, but I think, you know, the, as as I've had, you know, about five and a half years of my time here at Cesium, we've certainly had um, great inflection points. And probably one of those that I feel really close to is how we uh, launched um, our integration with Unreal Engines. Um, it's called Cesium for Unreal. It allows people to build 3D um, geospatial environments and, you know, anything from a flight simulator to... Um, to underground, um, AEC, urban planning, all of those types of applications in Unreal Engine and really bring together the geospatial and the gaming community who have been doing their own advances, but you know, never had a chance to connect to each other. So the way we, we went about it, the way we integrated, of course, built by the engineers, um, 
you know, executing that vision and really launching it for the success of cesium i think has been really rewarding of course a lot more to come there we're really excited about what the community is building with that um so so a lot more to come and then you know in general being in an outward facing role uh, like myself it's um it's seeing what our customers and our community is building and making sure that they're successful and and they're able to see that their their work is their work is successful as well as their feedback to us is being taken into account and we are working on it. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of here, here's, here's a kind of a thing we've built, which we think is really cool and seeing how people take that and, and build so much more with it and put it to really good real world use cases um, that, are in, that are real world impacting business and personal decisions for a lot of people. I can relate to that, that the customer success is the biggest reward you can get. Absolutely. But of course, there have certainly been some challenges as well. What have been the maybe the biggest challenges so far? Yeah, the, that, that's a fantastic question. And probably my personal biggest challenge, I think, has been learning on the job. And um, you know, I, I mentioned my background as a, as a software engineer. And I come from a family of engineers. so. Uh, you know, my brain is definitely wired that way. Um, so, so transitioning from being uh, an individual contributor who's writing code every day to being this outward facing, you know, role in cesium. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, changing how we think essentially. So, and what, like if you, if you were to ask, what does an engineer do? We solve problems. Um, that you know, we we see a problem in the world, whether that's in software or at our home, and we want to solve it. That's how our brains are wired. Um, and one of the biggest changes I've had to make is taking a step back and understanding the problem fully, really caring about what the problem is, what what does the user want, what what are their users asking for, and are there better ways to do it rather than just taking the word at at its you know the first time you hear it and going and solving it but taking a step back and and figuring out what's the full picture looking like and what who are all the stakeholders how can we maximize that impact so that's certainly been one of them and then um as a leader as as somebody who's leading teams i think as of course um you know learning about how to how to lead people how to manage um your engineers be that force multiplier just like i mentioned being a force multiplier in the class there's certainly force multiplication even at work and and making sure that uh, people are not bottlenecked they're um, they're able to maximize their potential and then grow uh, growing their own careers and being able to enable that so that's that's been another factor so so overall i would say probably my biggest challenge as well as biggest learning experience is learning on the job um, taking taking what i'm what i've been taught and trained on and expanding that so much more into these new fields while also doing our day-to-day activities. Well, if we talk a little bit about technology and geospatial and BIM have lived separately uh, for a long time, uh, maybe not anymore, but uh, what does it take to bring those two worlds together, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's essentially, uh, like you said, you know, 
that's probably not true anymore, but let's, let's take a step back and look at the history. I think when we look at geospatial in general, I think until, until a decade or so ago, it was mostly 2D maps. We would look at it on a flat screen or a flat paper and either draw lines on it or have various place marks on it, other things displayed. So it was mostly 2D and flat. Um, whereas BIM on the other side, and it's, you know, whether you call it BIM, CAD, or anything else, that has been mostly um, 3D, artist-driven, and to a certain extent, um, in, in black boxes, essentially. If you're designing your, your office building, you're probably going to see the office building and the road leading up to it. You're not, you're not looking at the full environment. And same thing for you know, whether that's downtown of any city or a new residential neighborhood, you are looking at a small piece of it. So one of the things that, that we've seen happen over the last few years is firstly, geospatial has gone 3D. Of course, you know, Cesium as, as our own, we've contributed a, little, a small piece to that by enabling it on the web. Of course, there are people before us, Google Earth and other products that have also enabled it uh, and the technology to come together. Uh, and then with BIM, of course, there's there's been a rapid growth in the software tools that are available, the open standards that make interoperability possible. So, so they have advanced quite a bit in their own rights. What we are seeing um, happen these days or the last year or two is how they've come together in the sense that you take the 3D geospatial side of things and combine that with the CAD designs and, and bring them together where, let's say you're designing a new building or a new community, you take those designs and place them in real world environments where you have existing data for the surrounding neighborhoods, the nature, the environment. And now you're not just able to be in a black box of what your specific BIM is gonna look like, but how does the environment around it look like? What, what is your sunset view? You know, are you, on, are you a beachfront property where the beach facing uh, condos are more expensive than the ones that are not beach facing? How is that gonna look? How is that gonna affect the buyer experience? How is that affecting the builder's experience? So not just from um, a design perspective, but through the lifetime of the construction, how does the design match what's actually being built? Being able to compare those two, um, is, is also becoming important. And I think there's, there's certainly a, a, a word to be said about understanding the environment, environmental impact of any construction project and, and taking input from urban planning, um, city councils and other things where you can show a much better and fuller picture and understand all the factors that might be affecting any given decision in the real world. And then one, one other thing that we've been seeing is how uh, 3D and real world environments are influencing um, stakeholder input, that is the citizens of any project. Probably one of, the, one of the key places I've seen this be really effective is, for example, in, in wind power, uh, generating through the, through the wind farms, essentially. And a lot of, one of the most common concerns is, um, not in my backyard kind of syndrome where you don't you you love wind power but you don't want it close to your home because you think it'll drive the the value down or something like that and and 
being able to build these three D environments that really show people about how it's going to look in the real world, and you know, it'll be a speck in the sky, and you won't be able to see it. That has proven to be very effective as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think there's so much more to do there. Absolutely, in in terms of how immersive we make it, how we help and drive policy, um, not just in terms of whether something should be built or not, but a holistic policy about how cities should be driven for the future. Um, so yeah, very very exciting how geospatial and BIM are coming together and and what that future looks like. What do these new technologies like gaming and extended reality uh, allow us to do in the in in the near future or already? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So so we we found we learned a lot about this when we were doing the Unreal Engine integration, of course. Um, and one of the things we learned is that. The, the geospatial community has been you know, around for decades from 2D to 3D and have been building their own standards, their own systems, um, as well as engines, 3D engines like CZMJS. And, and that's been going great. At the same time, the gaming industry, which has also been around for decades, has been advancing on a different track, a parallel track, and really improving performance, visual quality, um, the, the user experience, the immersiveness. Um, and these didn't necessarily have too much of an overlap, except when you take, let's say, gaming algorithms and use that for advancing geospatial, um, or taking maybe a small piece of a city in geospatial and bringing that into a gaming environment. You know, think like GTA or other city-based games where you're trying to replicate real cities. But they never truly came together where you could do um, the full breadth of all the capabilities in one or the other. Um, so what we saw with when we really see Fontreal is that now with, with geospatial and the game engines coming together is that you can advance both of these communities um, at the same time and, and bring all of those decades of work together at one point. So some examples I can give. Um, in, in geospatial, you have great 3D environments. If you bring them into a game engine, now you get all the existing features of a game engine, everything from amazing visual quality to physics and collisions and being able to simulate real world, um, real world agents. So for example, drive, cars driving down the road or people interacting with each other. Um, so that's that's a really amazing benefit. Um, another one that we found to be really cool was uh, doing all the simulation. So uh, weather systems, water, being able to do all of that in game engines is easy. But now with 3D geospatial, you can make it look like real world. Imagine being able to bring weather from NOAA or other uh, European agencies in real time so that you're really duplicating what the world looks like. And on the other side, bringing gaming to geospatial, um, that allows other improvements where now games can be built with uh, built for the real world. So, uh, you know, Fortnite is really famous nowadays. A lot of uh, people are playing it. Could you play? Could we imagine playing Fortnite in New York or San Francisco or Philadelphia um, in the future, where you're not just play, playing in designed environments, but you're playing in your own neighborhood? And have your own community of players. Um, so, so we, we've seen tremendous um, growth in that intersection. 
Um, what we also see is how real world big organizations are using it. So um, everything from the Olympics to the FIFA World Cup that's coming up, uh, Formula One events are using uh, game engines and geospatial to build immersive uh, um, infrastructure projects, essentially, where you understand how the clouds are going to come in, what's the safety situation, you know, what happens in an emergency environment, how do how do um, emergency fire trucks and other vehicles come in if if needed. So that's that's been really good. Um, one of the leading companies there's is OnePlan who's building that on Cesium as well. And then you know we, we are of course a WDB, so very focused on infrastructure. So there are companies like GHD, uh, V2I, Immersive, who are building really amazing visualization platforms for everyone from designers, project managers, and to the buyers to show what the properties are going to look like. So I mentioned earlier about having a beachfront property and understanding how the sunset is going to look and where the sunlight is going to come in. And being able to replicate that in the real world um, is is changing the game for how projects are managed, sold, and curated for, um, and, and that'll be how it's going to be done in the future. The last thing I want to mention um, is, is what we'll see in the future is growth of metadata, where today you can, for example, easily identify um, any important building. You can, for example, identify Westminster in London, or you can uh, you can identify the Eiffel Tower in Paris. I think what we'll see in, in the future, and some of this is happening today, is identifying individual parts. So for example, you want to identify, this is the door to the building, this is the handle, the door opens this way. Um, so once you have those that kind of metadata, then you bring in a whole another level of experience where you make it significantly more interactive where people can actually walk through the doors and understand the full experience rather than just seeing it from outside or seeing it from a specific camera view. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> uh, anyone who has seen the modern game engines, they can, they can uh, certainly attest to that, that uh, the experience is really, really fantastic. Um, well, uh, one thing that is all, always has been a, an issue in when we're talking about uh, the construction industry and, and geospatial and so on is is openness and open standards. And you already said that you're committed to open standards. What, what do they allow us to do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this goes back to a little bit of the historical way of how we got here. So, so let's start with an example. Let's, let's say we could only email people that on our domain. So if I'm using a Gmail account, I can only email Gmail users. Or if I'm using a Microsoft account, I can only email Microsoft users. Or maybe in another way, iPhone users can only call and text iPhone users. Android users can only call and text Android users. Wouldn't be a great experience, would it? Now we would all have to carry around different devices and have all sorts of workarounds for it. Um, and at one point back in the day, about three decades ago, when the internet was forming, some companies did try to take that approach. In hindsight, we know which approach worked, which is the open and interoperable way where everything is built around APIs and open documentation and, and you know, uh, the systems connect to each other. 
So without without open standards and protocols, we wouldn't have email, we wouldn't have text messages, we wouldn't have uh, our browsers essentially. Without without HTTP, HTML, and other things, we wouldn't have that. Our reality would look very very different. Um, and that's that's essentially what how it applies to geospatial and how we are going to grow um, BIM and metaverse as well in the future, where open standards are really at the heart of interoperability. Geospatial technology exists at the, in, uh, at the intersection of many different industries uh, where you're getting imagery from satellites, you're capturing 3D from helicopters and DSLR cameras and processing that through 3D pipelines. Uh, you're streaming that over the web to a variety of game engines and 3D engines um, of different types. Um, and the, the earth is so big that no one company is going to be able to capture all of this data and try to make their own closed system. We, we have in the past, as well as go, going into the future, we will always have to um, play together in building a world that is useful uh, for everybody. Um, you know, the satellite data may come from one company, the 3D data of American cities may come from one city, but European cities may come from another company. Um, and of course, governments have a huge role to play in that with, you know, organizations like the USGS here in the US, NASA, of course, um, the European Space Agency. Um, Australia has really great uh, push for open standards and interoperability. Singapore is taking a great, great stand there. Um, being able to push for these open standards allows people to use the best data that's available rather than um, be locked into any one data engine or platform. And I think that's where the value is um, in the freedom for people to choose the right systems and the right standards uh, for their use case and being able to advance that um, for the, what they want. So. Um, quick examples, maybe the the standards and the use cases for oil and gas and somebody doing under, underground drilling is very different for the from the use cases for um, AEC and urban planning. And similarly, it's very different from aerospace and satellite simulations and those kind of things. So being able to pick and choose which ones you want to do, but at the same time, talk to the same systems uh, becomes very, very important. I... I would assume that you are going to talk about the same stuff that we were discussing here um, in your WDBE keynote, but can you give us a hint about what you're going, going to cover? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been you know, a pleasure to share my thoughts here in the podcast, but I think in the WD, WDBE keynote, um, I'll be showing a lot more examples. I, you know, as a teacher, I love showing rather than talking. So um, I'll be showing a lot of examples of not just the work that CCM has created, but uh, what the community is creating and how that will apply. And really not just say, here's what CCM has done and, you know, uh, and try to sell it, but really inspire people to be like, here's what we've done today. What are we going to build in three years? And, start, and getting that inspiration done today so that the community out there goes and builds it. So sharing some of my inspiration for that. Um, I'll be talking a little bit about game engines, about AEC, of course, um, the built environment, um, open standards, and then some of the metadata things I shared with you about how that is going to change how we build 
our our digital environments and and you know leading up to the future of the metaverse essentially. But finally, how can our listeners learn more about what you do and how how can they best connect with you? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so so I think we love sharing. Um, we love to talk about uh, especially the work that the community is doing. So the best way to follow our updates uh, are through our blog. So if you go to cesium.com slash blog, that's the best way. We also do share a lot on social media uh, and our team is doing a great job there. So connect with us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are our primary platforms. Um, and then finally, if you're interested in working, uh, you know, in, in 3D geospatial, you're interested in the work that CZ was doing, we're always looking for hiring uh, really smart people and, and being able to grow our team. So if you if you wish to connect, please feel free to reach out to me personally through through your way of choice. Shazan, thanks a lot for this opportunity to, to talk to you and uh, see you at WDBE. Absolutely, Ani. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to all the feedback that we are going to get through this, and and hopefully, you know, another round of this next year. Thanks for listening. Join us at wdbe.org.